Welcome to Monster Men. 2022 R. <laughs> we are back. Yes, I am part pirate. Uh, we are very happy to be back, finally. What's the last episode? Halloween? Uh, Yeah, right around Halloween. Yeah, well, we were busy. We were incarcerated. But we're back out, and we have a fantabulous guest who I happened to meet at a book signing that Tim Meyer doesn't remember. I have no idea how that is, because I was the one who was drinking. Uh, but she is author and paranormal investigator Eleanor Wagner, and I bought her book, Sussex County Hauntings. And I was like, we have to have her on the show. This, You are prime monster man material. Welcome to the show. Cool beans. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. Very excited. We love us ghosts. Ghosts and stuff. And later on, I don't want to give it away. So this is why you have to listen to the end of this, like towards the end. There's some really good stuff at the end of your book that intrigued me, I think, more than anything. Oh, okay. But you've seen my shenanigans. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so you might understand <laughs> what really hooks me. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. There you, that's a surprise, even for you. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Anytime, uh, I, I I always like to see, uh, hear the stories about um, what did you see when you looked into the abyss? What looked back at you? So this should be fun. Mm. <laughs> yes. And it was great because, you know, we met at Angry Eric Brewing in the, I don't know where, I can't remember it's where it new- was. Newton, Newton, Augusta, considered Augusta. All the towns kind of blend into one another. So you're driving into Newton, but it, I think it was on the Augusta border. So I mean, that brewery looked like it was dropped into the middle of nowhere from God. It is. It's like nestled in the woods there. Yeah. And there was a bunch of psychotic authors. And then you, the normal person. <laughs> I was like, I feel sorry for her. And I was, I was invited there by one of the other psychotic authors he's like i think you'd be great to come along i'm like okay i'll come and just i think i was the only female there that was a you were. author with a bunch of guys yeah yes so and i thought when i first bought this book i thought okay you know maybe she's like into history and this is like kind of like and which you are um mm-hmm. but i didn't know that you actually investigate i thought you were like compiling like different stories of sussex county but it was great to learn that you actually have gone out all over and some real life paranormal investigating well as you read the book so you know i am sensitive to i'm not as good as some of my team members but i've always been sensitive and i've had ghosts in my life so that was the primary reason of writing the book because i had that haunted shop that was in sussex and i live in sussex county so i said you know i know it's haunted so i'm going to ask people on social media if they want to share their stories. And so people came out of the woodwork and then you had all of the stories. But the paranormal investigating and creating this group, founding the Lady Ghostbuster paranormal team, really literally just fell into my lap because I'd go on weekend jousts with my friends and we'd you know, go from one place to another and we went to Williamsburg, um, Massachusetts once and we went to Glens Bay, New York. I mean, we would pick a place that we wanted to go investigate. And, and spend a night there. And that's what I would do as far as paranormal investigating was concerned. But I never have ever thought about establishing a team until I started writing that first book. Really? And then I was given the opportunity, yeah, I was given the opportunity to go and do an investigation in the Sterling Hill mines in Ogdensburg, if you recall reading about that chapter. And uh, when I was talking to the president of the 
minds. He was saying how he was a scientist and he's not supposed to believe in this stuff, but he couldn't explain what was happening. And so he goes, you know, if you want to bring a paranormal team in and do an investigation, you're welcome to come and check out the offices and the mines and everything. And I'm like, oh, great. Thanks so much. And I'm going, oh, shit, I don't have a paranormal team. What am I going to do? <laughs> so I was like, OK, so now I have this thing that I'm scheduling with this guy. I actually scheduled it for the weekend of my birthday, February 22nd, 2019. And I said, OK, I got this thing all set up. Now I got to get a team together. So I reconnected with somebody that we'd met um, one of those weekend away with my friends and asked mm -hmm. them if they, they were local, if they wanted to join in on this adventure. And then at the time, there were these five women that I had interviewed that were really interesting and sensitive at birth. And I said, you know what? I know that I just interviewed them for this book and they really don't know me, but they're local and I'll ask them if they want to come out on an adventure and see, see for themselves. And three of those five women took me up on my offer and they've been with me on the team ever since. So it was a very cool experience doing the investigation in those mines. We were in there for six hours, didn't even know it was six hours had wow. gone by. And we got some great footage, great shit that happened. In fact, we all had our cameras and audio going and we had this strange misty fog communicate with us and we were taking video from it from all different angles. So I had just picked the footage that I thought was the best from that investigation and I sent it into paranormal court on camera and they featured us in an episode because of what we got on that oh, very cool. first investigation. That's fantastic. But from there, from there, it just, it just went, it took off at that point because now I had this group of people that really worked great together and wanted to do more and we're all middle-aged, right? We're all like, okay, we're old and we, you know, this is our hobby now. Can we, can we do, an, can we do more? Can we do another one? And I'm like, sure. So I just started searching out places to go. And then I started having people reach out to me from my books saying, you know, I had this happen at my house. Can you bring your team in to see if you can figure out what it is? Or here's a video I got on my security footage. Do you think it's paranormal? And it just kind of took off. And before I knew it, we were doing an investigation every weekend. And then That's... COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Two questions. A, do you have T-shirts? <laughs> no, we don't have T-shirts. But I'm, you know, we got stickers we're working on. I'm, I'm, I'm actually working on all of that now because you're not the first person that's asked me about T-shirts, and another person that's asked me about um, stickers. They want stickers, so Thanks. I'm like, okay, I'll get them for you. So we're, we're working on that. Yeah, go <laughs> to sticker bookmarks. They have great. Deals. I have bookmarks. <laughs> um, and also. You said that you interviewed people for the team. Now, how did you put out like the call for people to come, you know, join the team? It wasn't a call at all. It was kind of like when I'm interviewing people for the books, those are really my go-tos because um, a lot of them are sensitive and have, have been sensitive all their lives. It's been nurtured in their families. Their grandmother was sensitive, that kind of sort of thing. Right. For me, I've always trusted my gut feeling. If I have a feeling like, hmm, I should ask this person if they want to be a part of the group, then I go for it. And there's actually one, two, three, four people in the group that are not sensitives at all. And I was always hesitant to invite somebody that's not a sensitive into the group because when you're doing investigations in people's homes, you want those people there because those are the people that are get, you're going to get the most information from spirit through 
Mm-hmm. But when I see somebody that's just so um, excited and informed and involved and they have something else that they want to offer, whether they like history or I'll, I'll take notes for you, that kind of thing. I'll hold the camera for you, that kind of thing. That kind of excitement and drive to want to be a part of it is what makes me say, mm, okay, let's give it a shot. And so then I, I'll invite them to be a part of the group. And one of those people, Brittany Iwanski, she came in shortly after those original three from that first investigation. And she was actually shocked to shit when I said to her, why don't you come along? Because she was just somebody that had a fan that had reached out to me and we were just chit chatting and, and we had this really great conversation and she just clicked with me. And one day I said, do you want to just come with us on an investigation? And now this is a girl who was very introverted, didn't like Mm -hmm. large crowds, didn't like to go. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, come. I would love to meet you and have you, see what it's all about and she just couldn't believe it and she jumped at the chance and i remember that very first investigation she came on it was at a piano shop in pennsylvania and you could see that she was a little nervous because she was around a bunch of people and she's not used to it but she warmed up so quickly and the next thing i knew she was this full-fledged member she bought all this equipment and she Mm. was doing she's historically inclined she loves to to study history and she was finding out all this information and surprisingly enough she's got native american in her family history which everybody's got sensitivity but native american for sure right mm-hmm. and from being around all these sensitive people that energy it's helped her to actually realize that she's got more than she even realized and so because we all have ability it's just a matter of how you grow it can you, um, really, okay, I'm sorry. That's all right. She's come a really long way. She's been, she's amazing. Can you kind of give me the definition of being sensitive and then a little bit about what, what it feels like, especially particular? Cause I think a lot of people who are watching this are going, do you mean that you're psychic or what, what, what exactly do you mean when you say sensitive? Okay. I use sensitive as a very broad word because somebody could be a medium who's a psychic. They could hear spirit. Some people smell spirit. Everybody's gift is different. And some people are more adept at it than others. When I said to you that everybody is gifted, we really all are. But then you have the people that are skeptics, which shut things down. Then you have Mm -hmm. the people that were never nurtured from kids on. Like for me, when I ever used to talk about things to my mother, she'd say, ah, it was just a dream. Ah, it was just a dream. And I had premonitions when I was a kid. And the one that was probably the the altering one for me was so devastating when I woke up from this nightmare and told my mother about this dream. And she said, oh, it was just a nightmare. Don't worry about it. And when it came true, it it flipped me out because I was 12 years old. And I was like, oh my God. I told my mom that was going to happen. And she said it was a dream and it happened. You know, this is my fault. I could have done something about it. I could not have done anything about it, but tell that to a 12 year old kid. So I right. shut it down, scared the shit out of me, really. And this was, this was, this was in addition to me seeing a spirit in my home. I grew up with a ghost in my home. So I knew that I could see spirit. And the only one in other person in my family that I knew could see spirit that spoke about it was my older sister. She would tell us about spirits that she had seen when she was hanging out with her friends in, in Edgewater Park, a part of the old neighborhood. And that she was the only other person in my family that ever talked about it. So I don't even know if my mother ever did or if she 
believed it or just didn't talk about it. Nobody else ever did. So when that incident happened to me and I shut it down, I was shut down for a really long time. I mean, I still read ghost stories, love ghost stories, wrote ghost stories, but I never really tried to pursue anything in that arena because of that scare. And it wasn't until I probably was in my 20s when I realized I couldn't have done anything about that. Okay, mm-hmm. that happened to me, but I'm not going to blame myself for it anymore because this is now after reading so many things and learning from things I've read that it wasn't my fault, right? right? So I'm more receptive now. In my 20s, I'm more receptive to learning more about myself and what I have that I consider a gift. I don't consider it a curse. And it really didn't take... Um, it didn't really expand until my father's death. When my father died, the day that he died, he came to me and told me that he was gone. I was actually stuck in the middle of bumper to bumper traffic on the George Washington Bridge on the hottest day in the summer. And I remember having the air conditioning on and suddenly all the cars stop and I, I hear my dad and my husband in my head going, turn off the air conditioner or the car's gonna overheat. So I turn off the air conditioner and I open up all the windows And I'm sitting there in traffic, just like turtle, moving, you know, trying to get to the Bronx to be at my father's bedside. And then all of a sudden, in real time, I'm sitting there and this like driving, driving movie screen shows up in front of my face. And I really felt like I had watched a full length movie, but in real time, it was seconds. It just happened in seconds. And... I, my dad, just to give you a brief overview, very hard worker, immigrant, loved his country, couldn't wait for retirement, retired in January, was diagnosed with cancer in February, was gone by June. So he was bitter and angry and sad. And so when I see this screen open up in front of me, I see my dad standing there. He used to wear shorts with knee socks. <laughs> and slipping slip sandals. That was his, his wardrobe. And I see Good him man. standing there, and I feel that anger, that hurt, that worry, that fear, all of these emotions, and it's it's really all enveloping. And I, I, I know that I'm feeling his pain. And he's walking through these this fog, and he comes to a bit of light, and... All of a sudden, my husband's aunt, Anne, is there to greet my dad. She had passed away the year before. And she's like, hi, Carl. How you doing? Come on over. A lot of people, she didn't say a lot of people, others want to see you. And so she takes him into this group of light beings. They're all light. And I knew who they were. Somehow, I just knew who they were. I couldn't physically see them in their bodily form that they would have been on Earth. But I knew they were his deceased brothers and sisters, his parents, his best friend, Pat, who had died the year before. They were all there. And they all of a sudden, like, envelop him. And my dad had a smile from ear to ear. And when I tell you my dad really never smiled, I mean, I have a picture of him with me on my wedding day smiling. And I have it hanging in my bedroom because it was a catch to get him smiling. (laughs) And he is smiling like that all of a sudden when these people uh, that he knew in life in 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 heaven i'm gonna say were surrounding him and greeting him all that pain and anger was gone it was just now joy and they separated and 
this beautiful cherubic woman came up to my dad and she greeted him and she said, hi, daddy, it's me, Caroline. Now, if I told you before, Hunter, my sister's name was Caroline. Right. She died when she was three months old. And so now she's in heaven in her 30s and she's greeting my dad at the gates of heaven. And it was just like, holy cow, you know? I had this great story now to tell all of my family members at his funeral in his wake. He's okay. But right. here I was on the GW bridge trying to get to his bedside and he was letting me know that he was already gone. And so when I finally did make it to the Bronx house, like an hour and a half later, my sisters and my mom were waiting for me when they told me he was already gone, but I had already known. I already yeah. knew that he was gone. And so from that moment on, it was like reignited in my soul. Like now my dad showed me where he was and it was like this thing opened up inside of me. I can't really explain it to you, but from that point on, you know, he, I, he came to me many times after that. And, um, I had that sensitivity again that I had shut down all those other years before. Right. But everything happens for a reason. I don't feel like anything's a coincidence. So the fact that it took me so late in life to restart whatever it was that I had shut down all those years before, there's a reason for it. Even me writing these books. I mean, I've written my entire life. And I was always I always wrote about ghosts and the paranormal. In fact, my my first book is a paranormal romance that takes place in Sussex County. And I was writing the second one when I hit kind of a writer's block sort of, I knew the beginning, middle and the end, but I just couldn't finish the fill in stuff. Right. And then the idea for the hauntings books came through. And to me, that wasn't a coincidence. It was, that was meant to be. And it happened. My first book came out in, in 2015. And so I was working on that second one and it wasn't until 2019 that the hauntings book, came out and then it just took off after that. I thought it was only going to be one book, but I ended up writing the second one during COVID and um, the third one, the Warren County hauntings one came out on Halloween last year around the time that you and I met Hunter. Right. And then now I'm <laughs> yeah. And now I'm working on Sussex County hauntings, three, three books out of the first haunting series. And I've got folders for Passaic County, Morris County, Pike County, Orange County, and they're all eventually going to be books. Right. But what people what people really like about the books is that I like to give the histo historical background of the areas I write about. So if I'm writing a story about Sussex and Wanage, where I live, I like to give the history of that area. And if I have the background of the building or the land that the haunting takes place on, I like to tell the people about that too. That's what I and like about I'll your stories. Readers. Your stories yeah. give that historical context to everything. And I thought, yeah. I said, this this is going to make the believer and the non-believer. I think it's going to hook both of them. Um, which, yeah. yeah, I think, and that's been that's that's the part of it that's been so well received. That people love that history behind it. And then if if I give the people's accounts, like I try and get more and more, more than one account on uh, location if I'm able to it doesn't always work out that way if I have more than one story it's great if I don't if I have the one story I'm going to write if it's a really good story so I will offer that to the reader but if I can get my paranormal team into that location for an investigation then 
that's even better. I can add that to the chapter. And then people photographs. So if I'm showing them photographs of the locations, if I have some photographic evidence from the investigations or from the homeowner or the business owner, I'll add that with their permission. And then overall, I tell the reader that they can go to my website where I have galleries set up and they can see all the video footage and listen to the audio footage there as well. Or if somebody who's in a residence that sent me something initially, look, I got this on my security camera. I don't know what it is. I have that stuff on the website too, which is kind of cool because they're seeing it in, in, in color. You know, right. they get to see it right there rather than just a black and white picture in the book. Now, speaking of these, by the way, you're my favorite guest because you say hauntings, hauntings. Love it. It's <laughs> the way it should be said. Um, <laughs> what are some of the spookiest I'd say, what's the spookiest haunting that you've been uh, told of, and what's the spookiest you've encountered? The spookiest one I was told actually just came out in, well, it shouldn't be, that's not the only one. There are two. The, the one, I'll tell you about the second one. The second one is the one that just came out in Warren County Hauntings this past Halloween. My team member, Laurel Devine, who originally obviously was just this woman that reached out to me because she's had these experiences all her life and she had these stories to share. And the story that she told me was probably by far the most frightening, I think, as far as a, a mean ghost. Because, you know, if you're a mean person in life, you're going to be a mean ghost. If you're a nice person in life, you're going to be a nice person. So this ghost that she had in this rental home of hers was a nasty mean ghost and did not want anyone to live in the apartments and so she had sensed that there was a ghost in the building when they bought it but she dealt with ghosts all her life and didn't really think anything of it because it wasn't making itself known to be mean to her it was just making itself known to be there mm -hmm. but it wasn't until they started renting the the house out and people weren't staying longer than six months that they knew something was amiss and then it was affecting the people in the home. And, and they only realized that when people started telling them. And then there was a couple that was in there at one time that the husband, who was the sweetest pie, all of a sudden, now the blue gets into an argument with the guy out in the neighborhood, and they have this huge fight. And this is totally uncharacteristic of his personality. The final straw for them, though, was when they had rented the home to a woman. I'm not sure if it was a woman and her boyfriend, or if it was just a woman and her young child, he was, I believe, five or six years old. And you know yourselves, you put a five or six-year-old into the bathtub, they're not going to drown. You know, if you put a three-year-old or a two-year-old in their unattended shore, it can happen. But not a five-year-old. They're sitting there and they're playing with their toys in the water. And she left to go down the hall and get a towel uh, for him. And when she came back, he was drowned in the bathtub. Oh, my God. That's that's and not she, even enough time to drown. Right. And she swore that something in the house is what killed her son. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Laurel and her husband. They were like, we can't, we can't have this house anymore. We've got to give it back to the bank because I don't want to be responsible for somebody else losing their life. Right. And so... They did. They let it go into foreclosure, and they told the bank that it was haunted, and the bank laughed at them. Um, and there were a whole bunch of other things that happened in between, but this is just the broader spectrum of the story. Right. And so it remained empty for, like, 
two years and all of a sudden she's passing by it one day because she would go by periodically to see if anybody was in the house because she wanted to make sure they were okay she goes by and she sees there are people living in the house and she went up to the door and knocked on it and this woman came to the door and she said i know this is going to sound really crazy but i just i used to own this home and i wanted to come and make sure you guys were okay and the woman said we're, we're getting out of here. We're not staying in this house anymore. And her kids, her teenage kids, were in the back room hearing her talk to them. And they're yelling in the background, this house is possessed. Oh, wow. So it's continuing. It's it's going on. You know, That's it's a shame. continuing on. Yeah. And she, she had tried really hard to try and get rid of this spirit because she is good at that sort of, that sort of thing. And she has had experience 40 years of experience but she was not able to get this thing out and um yeah so it's you, still there do you think knocking the house down would do anything or would just linger in that no. spot yeah that's not going to do anything it's the same thing as if you are renovating a house let's just say there was a staircase at one point and the ghost would use that staircase to get to wherever it was in the house you remove that staircase, they're going to still think that staircase is there. So even if you remove the whole house, doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it's still going to reside in that space. And if a new house goes up, it's going to reside in that house. And as I said, she did try to reason with this spirit. And it was not having it. And when she tried and her husband tried, this thing was throwing shit at them and making them sick. It was really, really bad. And like I said, she tried to reason with him at first before the child passed away in, in the bathtub. She was like, you know, we're just trying to rent the house. Look at how beautiful we made your house. We renovated the whole thing. You know, just can't you get along with people? And it just wasn't having it. And yeah, well, scary. If I die and people come and renovate this disgusting addict, I will be very happy. <laughs> I'll be a tented ghost that will take good care of them. <laughs> <laughs> So what was the scariest uh, encounter that you've had when you've when you've gone out and about? Oh, OK. Yeah, that was the other question. Thank you. Yeah, we did an investigation and it's actually in the first book. It's called The Captain's House in Vernon, New Jersey. And the accounts in that first book in the chapter, because we've gone back there three times since that initial chapter, um, when I wrote that chapter in the book at the time, I had a friend that had a shop in there and I was actually going to get my team to go into the building at that point, but she ended up moving her shop out. And so we never got the opportunity, but I still went ahead and wrote the chapter because I had all of her experiences from when she was in there. And I did have several other people tell me about what happened to them when they were in that building over the years. So it was still a great story and a great chapter and history was wonderful. And so I went and went ahead and wrote the chapter. Now, after I had written that book and it was published, this beauty salon moves into the building and she reaches out to me and she said, I know you wrote about this in the first book, but I'm in here now and I have a lot of stuff going on because we've been renovating the place. Would you like to bring your team in? And I was like, yeah, now we had a chance to get in there like I had always wanted to do. So we get in there and we have this investigation and we had we had some stuff happen and it was it was cool. It was it was it was interesting. But weird shit started happening even after the fact. She discovered this hidden staircase and it was you couldn't see it from 
different areas of her building and it was just perplexing that this staircase was there that led up to this room that was locked up in the attic and a portion that you couldn't see when you were up in the attic was very strange and so she said now it's kind of getting scary so we went back again and when we went back there um, the two mediums that were there who usually under all circumstances get along really well and are on the same page and can finish each other's sentences, these two women at the time, they're literally butting heads and they're not understanding why. And one of them actually gets scratched. She physically gets scratched and bruised by whatever it was at that particular point in the building. And the history of that house is there were were two brothers one was a sea captain who died at sea, and the other brother was an, an entrepreneur, and he was into a lot of things. And a lot of the history talks about what he was into, but in this investigation, we found out that there's a lot more that he was into that nobody would want to know about, which was tri- child trafficking. Oh boy! Oh. And so um, we. You're bringing us down tonight with all these horrible child sorry, stories. Sorry, but this sorry. is this is the juicy stuff. This is the yeah. But you know, it, it's you you people like to read history and they think, oh, this is all well and good, but this shit happened: prostitution, murders, human trafficking. It all happened. Slavery. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know about that, but. You don't want to hear about it in like the Victorian era when you're looking at this historical building and oh, it's such a beautiful building and oh, you don't realize that there are these hidden secrets that people don't know about. And so when we went back that third time, we had um, Art Peterson with us, who's one of the guy members of the team, and he is really in sync with Laurel Devine. They just, they work really well together. And when they were there that particular night, and they went to that staircase that was hidden. He kept on getting this feeling that they would find markings. And they did. They found scratches behind the door. They found children's names carved into it. And I've got pictures of it that I, I am going to put in Sussex 3 because I'm going to do a um, an update in Sussex 3 on that particular building because now I have our investigation to talk about. Right. And... The reason those two women were at each other's throats is because one of them was being affected by the good brother and one of them was being affected by the bad brother. The bad brother was the one who was hiding these children up there and selling them off for prostitution. And the good brother, who was the sea captain who ended up dying at, you know, at, at sea, couldn't do anything about it anymore because his brother could just go on and do whatever he wanted to in secret. And it was just a really, really sad thing to have to feel, especially for those mediums, because they feel those children screaming and asking for help. And just imagine, yeah, you right. know, what they went through. I mean, we, we did we did another investigation in um, this diva dog shop in Lafayette Village in Sussex County. And when we went there, they were having a lot of activity and we were trying to figure out what it was. And when we were there, we unearthed that there was a young girl and a young man who came over on the railroad because that was the railroad stopping over there. And they were on their way to New York to start a new life. They were young. I think they were like 16, 17, right? Mm-hmm. 
and they get approached by these these men who said you stole stuff from us now you're going to have to work for us to pay for it never happened but they kept them captive made him work as a farmhand and she had to work to sell her body and we ended up we had an sls camera with us and she was showing us being attacked and what she was made to do and that we the the mediums are feeling this pain now and her suffering and it was just horrible to like even watch it unfold on this sls camera it's like oh my god she's being she's being attacked and um we did find their graves. We ended up finding her grave. They, they, they remained there for the rest of their lives. She did stay with him as a couple. They did have a child. We ultimately found her grave and her child's grave. But for the longest time, we didn't find his. And probably maybe six months later, when, when Brittany and I were out on cemetery um, hopping, we were going to that particular cemetery because we were trying to look for a, a grave of somebody else we had connected with in Lafayette at another investigation. And lo mm-hmm. and behold, we end up finding him. We end up finding him. And that yeah. was like the full circle. That was the end of the story. So they remained together in Lafayette. But their story was another, that was a, another sad one. That was stuff that took place, you know, behind closed doors. You know, people went around their merry way and they lived their lives, but these men we're going to these secret places and paying money so that they can have sex with, you know, people that that were prostitutes and not always willingly. Hey, I'm in property management, so I can't be surprised by anything that goes on behind closed doors mm. at all. I, in fact, I, maybe I'm so jaded I just expect the worst of everybody. So, I'm like, yeah. Sure, I believe that. No, I mean, I mean uh, to be honest with you, it's like the way of the world. I feel like every time I turn around nowadays, nowadays I, I hear something else. And it's like, you're kidding me. You Really? You can't be serious. And it just seems it's just happening all over the place. So why would it surprise me? You know, yeah. I mean. We've always been yeah. a deranged species. Yeah. Mm. And uh, like, you know, whatever, like my mother will lament things. I'm like, ma. It's always been like this. We've always been animals. We're, in fact, we're probably less savage than we were 500 years mm. ago. We have more rules know. in place. I don't know. But I, I think I we're just always demented. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, maybe we hide it better than we did before. Until we post it on social media. The internet has just proven how messed up everybody is. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's true. I, I, have, I actually have to curb myself. I have to turn away from from things and not respond because if I get involved, I don't shut up. The, the New Yorker comes out of me and it's like, I, I just, I just can't. So I, I, I have to kind of like not put my two cents in because I'll get into arguments with people. So yeah, I don't step into any of I, I have a couple of questions about skeptics. So you said that you like to bring sensitive people to uh, an investigation and I can understand that there are going to be skeptics who are just closed minded naysayers. But then I think there also probably are open-minded skeptics who are just like, well, I haven't ever seen anything, or I I know that one out of ten ghost stories are, or ten out of nine out of ten ghost stories are are BS. To for some reason, somebody's lying, somebody's crazy, somebody's mistaken, whatever. You hear about ghost hunters who are like, oh, for all the hours I've sat in a in an attic, I've only gotten you know three minutes of anything whatever so one was 
do you think that there's merit to having somebody who's a little more skeptical or I don't know, scientific's the right word, like a, you know, a contractor or something who come in and be like, while you guys are talking, be like, actually that's probably because of this pipe over here or whatever. And then yeah. part two of that would be, have you ever brought somebody who was a naysayer and then they got touched or something happened that, you know, one eighty'd them. Now they're a yay-sayer. They're a yay-sayer instead of a naysayer. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that we we never go into an investigation expecting something to happen. And if something happens, we want to prove it. Um, we want to try and disprove it first and see if there's any kind of logical or scientific explanation for what is happening before we will take it as a literal spirit. But those sensitives, they, they're so sensitive that they can hear, see, and speak to spirit that it, if it is, it is. Um, I do have Brittany and Kristen that are skeptics and they, one of them is actually a scientist. Kristen is a scientist. Hmm. So we, they, we have them there and they're, they're always the ones to speak up and say, you need to really show me before I believe. Right. And, um, so yeah, I, I want to say happy. The only one I can think of is my daughter, my daughter, Cassidy, who, I mean, the sensitivity obviously runs in the family. My older daughter, I think is more open to it than my younger kid. But when we went on a cemetery investigation, one time Cassidy came with me and it wasn't until she actually got her hair tugged and poked that she was like, Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with people not wanting to believe because of the fear. Mm-hmm. And you hear a lot of people say, no, no, I'm not going to believe it because of that fear. And then when it happens, they there's no denying it. So they really can't say it didn't happen. Like my business partner, when we owned the shop in Sussex, we had this come there when we were doing inventory at night and we were there together one night and she was totally not believing any of that. She's a pastor of a church. So that was another thing. And we're working in inventory and I see this old guy and I say to her, Hey, Hey, do you see what I see? And she was like, Nope, Nope. I don't see anything there. I don't see him. And I knew she saw him, but was admitting to it. And sure enough, later on, when I was writing the book, she was like, did I ever tell you about the time I was in the store by myself? So here she was, this non-believer who was a believer. And my husband, he's like, oh, I don't believe in that shit. He's the non-believer who's a believer. Because when my father came to me after he passed in my old home, and I told him about it, he wanted to bring the priest into the house to to exercise it. So if you don't believe, why am I going to bring a priest into the house to exercise it? So I call them believer, non-believers, and it's that fear that keeps people from moving forward. Or even like the scientists, you want to base everything on science, but that gentleman who was the president of that museum, you know, he was a scientist and he wasn't supposed to believe in any of the stuff, but he couldn't explain what was happening to him in that building while he worked there. So, you know, I really do think it takes something happening to somebody, though, to awaken, awaken that belief, really. That actually leads me to another question I had. I just wrote this down. I wrote the word religion down because I would think that when you go in to an investigation, the scientist is is coming in with science. Maybe a sensitive is coming in with their talent. 
and maybe a religious person is coming in with Catholicism or Christianity or whatever their faith is. And I'm wondering, like, is that a, a legit tool in your mind for casting or protecting? Or is that not something that comes into play? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm Christian. Jesus is my <clears throat> Lord and Savior. And I always go in with him as my protection. And God is always a big part of this. When we go in there, we let them know God is on our side and he's protecting us and that you can't, you can't come home with us. You have to stay here or go into the light. It's your choice, but you can't come home with us. I do take extra precautions though. Like I have this concede uh, charm that I wear. I do put protective oil on. I do have stones that I take with me. Anything that's going to keep spirit from attaching itself to me, because when somebody is sensitive, they're more apt to getting an attachment or having something come home with them. Right. But well, religion does play a really big part in it. And it doesn't matter what your religion is. If if you have that faith and that belief, that's you, that's a very strong protection for you to take with you whenever you go on an investigation. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I can't let this go. So I, I will tell you, I wrote a book about uh, the Jersey Devil. And at the time, my brother-in-law and I went to the Pine Barrens, and we just kind of drove around, stopped all over the place, talked to the locals. And I was trying to get Jersey Devil stories, which I got a couple, but it was always like, yeah, well, my uncle's friend, you know, he saw something. What I got everywhere was Bigfoot stories. Yeah. Everybody had a Bigfoot, not just, a, you know, my father's friend or my mom, it was me. And it's a lot of AT, riding ATVs at night. I found out in the in the Pine Barrens. Oh so. my God! Yeah, I that was that was one of the things. When I started, it was just going to be hauntings. It was just going to be about ghosts. And the only reason why I added that other strange phenomena part of the, of I, the book, I was that, jumping uh, up and down. <laughs> that's why, because people were coming out of the woodwork with Bigfoot stories, and they were coming out of the woodwork about their UFO stories, and I'm like. There is no way that I can not write about this, these things in this book. So I had to put the other strange phenomena in there. And it worked out great because that Bigfoot chapter, I think, is the biggest chapter of the whole book. It's, it's phenomenal. Now, after hearing what they say, what was your belief about Bigfoot going before you started doing this? And now what is it now that you've talked to experiencers? I've always been very receptive to all of these things. I know people say, oh, but they would have gotten, they would have caught one or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm still very openly receptive to it. I feel like they are an intelligent species. It's very possible that they are out there. I'm not going to say they're not. And if they are, they're an intelligent species and they have the ability to uh, hide themselves and, and keep from being caught. Hey, I mean, nobody, if, nobody's if caught a remember, piney. I don't see anyone walking out of the barrens with a piney. Piney. You know the pineys Piney. out there? That they those those families who live deep, like they're living like it's eighteen. Oh, yeah. Twenty. Yeah. 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 So nobody's caught them. <laughs> what the or hell is going them. on down in those you know, woods? Um I, I, if you remember I touched upon a little bit in, in in the first book that there were some people that believe that the Bigfoot uh appearances coincided with a UFO crash in the vicinity because they 
this UFO crashed and the government came in and they shut the family up. And the next thing you know, people started seeing both thought, who knows, maybe they're aliens. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I never say I never say never. There's always the possibility. I mean, I believe that there are other planets with living beings on them. I we I can't I can't imagine with that we're the only ones. Can't. Can't believe if, that. If, if so we're the only thing the universe can produce, God help the universe. Right? <laughs> True that. Or diverse and True fun that. and exciting. Um, Jack, do you have anything? I got two more questions for you. Uh-oh. You're no. in trouble. This is... <laughs> these, are, these are softballs. <laughs> Would you say, I think everybody, like Hunter has experience with living in a, a haunted house. I've never seen anything when I'm at his house, but there's always part of me looking over my shoulder when I'm there. You just missed it that one day. That one time. By like a half an hour. Um, But would you say that more of the hauntings that you do encounter are malevolent or benign? Oh, definitely benign. Absolutely. Don't be scared, people. So people out there should be. um, Yeah. Like I said, though, you know, if you were mean in life, you'll be mean in death, but I'm finding more nice. Yeah. I think there's more nice communicative, people, people. Relatable, you know, and you know, going back to what you were saying about how you, you got these hearsay stories with your Jersey devil and somebody telling you that, Oh, it happened to my uncle or whatever. It's really, mm-hmm. really hard to get those stories that people don't want to share them. So I, I never know what I'm going to get either. When I put it out there on social media and I ask for people to tell me their stories, you know, I would love to get some stories for certain particular areas that I know are haunted, but I'm not going to just say it's haunted unless I have a story. So I can only talk about the stories that I receive from people. Hence you not having too many about the Jersey devil because people just don't want to come out of the woodwork and talk about it. No. But you they know? love to talk them some squatch. I was even at yeah, the Fine they really Brewing do. Company. Everyone was talking about they Bigfoot. They really do. Absolutely. <laughs> My final What's question. What's your other question, Jack? Yep. When the weather gets nice and maybe the virus is a little bit less pertinent, could Hunter and I come on a ghost hunt with you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He's insensitive. He'd be willing to come. He'd be sensitive. willing to come to Sussex County to come with us. Sure. Absolutely. How far from the GW Bridge are you? From the GW Bridge, I'm about an hour. Nah, we could do that. Yeah, I could go visit my sister too. She's a little further. So it's, she's on See, the shore. See now, 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 whenever I do these book events, you you make connections just like Hunter and I met. You just meet up with people, and one thing leads to another. And it leads to another, leads to another. So I'm always making connections. And when I did the Boonton Book Festival, which was their first ever, which was a wonderful success, I made a lot of connections. And I love to try and get into the historical societies because I'm all about historical preservation, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I can if I can get in with the historical societies, then I can write the stories about those historical buildings and ultimately end up helping them draw attention to them and then raise funds for them. So to me, it's a win-win all around. A lot of it has to do with people being unbending too. When the older generation doesn't want to bend because they don't believe in this stuff or they're afraid people don't want to come if the building's haunted, they don't realize haunting's in. 
It's you know, people cha -ching. Oh, Look yeah. at Gettysburg right you now. Know? Gettysburg is all about so, the So, yeah. So I'm really, really trying to get into the his like historical buildings, and uh, I would love, you know, love it for you guys to come. That would be great. That'd be fun. Anytime, seriously, anytime. We would, we'd be there with bells on. Cool. <laughs> all right, Just wait so till it gets we, warm. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. too cold right now. Before you go, I know. Uh, why don't you tell people about your books? I know you brought some books down to show the folks, and where can they find you and find your books and everything about you? Well, you know, the first one I'll show you is The Dream a Little Dream. It's a paranormal romance that takes place in Sussex County. If you like the Stephen King books and the Dean R. Coons and the John Soule, they are my inspiration as a writer. And it's one of those page turners that keep you on the edge of your seat. It's a quick read. But if you're into the hauntings and everything that we talked about today, I've got the Sussex County Haunting series. This is one. This is two right here. And then the Warren County Hauntings, which just came out this last October right there. Uh, you can get them at my website, www.authoreleanorwagner.com. Um, you can get them on Amazon, eBay, yeah, but that's go to that link and everything's right there. You can make your choice. Um, and I also have, I also have a, a podcast guys. I don't know if I told you about that. It's called Eleanor Wagner's strange and scary world out of the paranormal UK radio network. Yep. That's, uh, that's on your really website. Good. Yes. Yes. Now can oh, yeah. you get that on, like um, most, you can get it wherever you can get your podcasts. You can get it. Yeah. No, it's good. So I would, I'm so glad you came on. We we definitely well, want to have you so on much again. Me. This is fun. I love I love I love talking all things ghosts and and haunting and. Next time you are on, I want to tell you about the the boy that lived in my house and my experience the night my dad died. Oh, I would love so we'll, to. We'll talk about that. So. Definitely. So, so yeah, thank you so much. This was. This is awesome. This is just what we need. This is how we needed to kick off the new year. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me. And thanks for sharing that story about your father. That that was uh, amazing. Yeah. So thank you. Well, you know, it, it it those stories are great stories. And where I was talking about the other strange phenomena chapters, it's opened up a wide range of opportunity for me to talk about stuff like that. Because you know, you wouldn't necessarily talk about a deceased loved one coming to visit in a ghostly sense because it's their spirit coming to let you know they're okay. And so with those other strange phenomena chapters, I've been able to write uh, visits from deceased loved ones or when people were with their loved ones at their time of death. Those are really poignant stories. It gives people that faith and that hope that yeah, their loved ones are okay. They're always with them and there's something great on the other side when we go. And That's right. what's better than hearing all those wonderful things, yeah. right? That's the best thing you can hear because you're going to be over on the other side longer than you're on this side. Exactly. So That's right. All right, Jack, do your thing. Everybody, thing first of all, Eleanor, thanks for joining us. Everybody, don't forget to share and like and all that stuff and go send her some love, buy some books, tell her that you, the Monster Men sent you. And Hunter and I will see you next time on Monster Men. Monster Men. <laughs>